0: first trimester still we're at lesson five. This is a great lesson. There's usually one or two lessons in every trimester that are just what I consider whether you call it important or uh, just critical. I think this is one of them and so I'm excited to share that with you. We're going to talk a little bit about requirements and characteristics of leaders. Um, We're not going to be able to codify Everything that God may speak to us or deal with us on. How many of you know that just because it's not written in the Bible doesn't mean you ought not avoid it or it not be a part of your life? I mean, Scripture tells us that we should avoid uh, the appearance of evil, every form of evil. I've had people say to me before, well, if it's not written in the Bible, then I guess I can do it. Well, it doesn't say thou shalt not do cocaine. It doesn't say that. Nowhere but I I think there would be a general acceptance of the precept that probably cocaine isn't good for you. Heroin wouldn't be good for you. I mean, so I'm just using an example that that not even God codified everything. So, So we've got to understand how some of this works in our life, particularly as we mature. Now, the lesson I'm going to give you tonight, I believe, is for the mature. It's absolutely critical for leadership because leadership equals influence. If you want to know what the definition of leadership is, it's influence. You can have a position, but that doesn't mean you're a leader. Because if nobody's following you or being influenced by you, then, then great, you have a position, but it's meaningless. And so leadership, probably in its purest form, is influence. And if it's godly leadership, then that can be used for wonderful, righteous purposes, and you can be an incredible, uh, impactful person and and have great impact for the kingdom. But if there's there's unrighteous influence, uh, it, it can be a domino effect in that regard as well. That's why if God strikes the shepherd, the scripture says, he can scatter the sheep. See, so a lot of times, if he can take out the leader, he can have this rippling effect. And so it's really important that we begin to understand some concepts under this. And we're going to talk about the leadership triangle. But let me read to you a couple of passages here just to get us started. In 1 Corinthians 8, I'm going to read this lengthier passage. I usually don't spend as much time. I usually pull the precept out. But I want to read this passage to you in 1 Corinthians 8 and maybe make a couple of comments as we walk through this. 1 Corinthians 8, I'm going to begin with verse 4. Paul writes, Therefore... Concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other god but one. Now we understand Corinth was a pagan area, had pagan influence, pagan temples, and there were uh, foods that were offered to idols. Now we understand that idol is meaningless; it's either a false god and a fabrication, or it's a demonic spirit. It's either one or the other, and and people would offer foods to idols. And then they would be used for other things, despite the fact they were offered for this idol. And he says, now we understand and that, that idol isn't anything. It's certainly not near to who our God is, and, and it has really uh, no effect in some ways on us at all. But he says in verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him and one lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live however how many of you know when he says however he's fixing to yeah elaborate there is not in every one that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled now he's setting up this scenario that there are some people believers who because of their and we can label it immaturity, we can, we can label it newness, naiveness. It could be any one of a number of things, but they are, they are being served or they are watching people being served or eating meat that had been offered to idols. Now, you know, if I go down to T-Bones here and I order a steak, you know, I don't know if the dude in the back did, you know, a satanic ritual around that steak before he served it to me. I don't know. I mean, all I know is I ordered it and I get a steak. And I just eat it. I don't know. It isn't going it didn't to necessarily affect me, but I just, I just don't know. But can you imagine if these things were done in full public view, and then that steak was offered, and then you just kind of shrugged your shoulders and said, oh, well, you know, steak, steak, eat more beef, let's go for it. You know, I mean, it would, it would, it, it, for, for some, it would cause great consternation. And he, and he says, because of their conscience, at this point, is weak, it's defiled. Now he says, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, he says, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, listen to this, some of you might need to underline this, when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now, James 3 and 1 I have this memorized. It basically says this. Let not many of you aspire to be teachers, for with it comes a stricter judgment. Now, why would that be? It's because it's it's no longer just you in the hunt, but as you begin to teach and disseminate whatever it is God may be teaching, or as you're teaching, you have the ability to influence other people. Truth of the matter is, when I stand before God, I'm going to have a greater expectation thrown upon me than Someone that just comes and maybe warms a seat and just listens. Now, that, that, that's not to suggest that, that they're bad or evil. I'm just suggesting that there will be greater expectation upon me because of the influence I exerted. It wasn't just about me. It was about what did you do with that influence. So, to be a leader, again, by its very definition, is to be of a different quality than ordinary. I mean, I mean, you can't be a leader unless... unless There's something that distinguishes you apart from all the followers or others. There are things that leaders do that are above and beyond the ordinary and average because of their influence in the lives of other people. Now, I like to use that triangle. Some of you have heard this a thousand times and you're going to get to hear it again. A triangle. Imagine, I should have have brought a board. Don't go get one, guys. But but imagine the triangle in front of you. And you know what a triangle, if, if I were to just have one in front of you here, that the bottom of the triangle is, is wide, very wide base, and, it, and, as you, and as you go up, yeah, it's right there in your notes, and as you go up, it goes to a point, which would be very narrow and, and, and singular. And I put on your notes there that at the bottom of the triangle, you find what we might call general membership, and as you move up this triangle, you move up to a place of what is called leadership. Now, there are several reasons that all of this uh, takes place, the precepts. A leader, when you're at the top of the triangle, has greater visibility. And you see, visibility entails responsibility. And the reason you have responsibility is because of your influence. That's why I always laugh when I listen to all these these athletes and celebrities who, who... who want to live the way, any old way they want to live, and say, don't look at me, I'm not a role model. I, I'm, because a role model is basically one who influences. And they say, I'm not a role model, I don't want to be anybody's role model. But they don't mind being an influencer when it comes to selling tennis shoes. Do they? See, so you can't have it both ways. Intuitively, we know this. That's that's why everybody's irritated at celebrities that... that you know have uh affairs and and they go to rehab and and uh, you know americans yes they'll forgive and we are redemptive in the way we way we want to embrace people but that's why intuitively we know there's greater expectation on those that have greater visibility now now the triangle is great because because when you're in general membership you have lots of options you, you see truth be told if you want to come to church or you don't want to come to church. Now listen to me. If if you want to be a mature Christian, these precepts should apply to you. But fact of the matter is that you may be able to wake up one morning and just say, "Oh man, I had a hard Saturday night, you know. I had I had to work late or something was going on. I just I mean, I'm tired. I don't want to get up. I don't want to be at church." And I'm just, you know, I just you know, I think the Lord would understand. And and truth be told, are you going to go to hell over that? No. No. And you might need to sleep. I don't know. But when you're in leadership, how many of you know when the alarm goes off on Sunday morning, that's not an option anymore. See, I can't get up, can I, on Sunday. Oh, Andrea, I have one rough Saturday night. I just partied way too late. You know, way too late. And it's just, I mean, they'll understand. Everybody, I just hey, they'll under. No, they, you, we know that. Well, as as. As you move up that triangle, what happens is your options become narrower and narrower. You see, a lot of people think that's backwards. They think, when I'm the leader, I get to do anything I want. That's really not true. Actually, you'll be far more hemmed in when you're a leader than than when maybe you're just in, in a general membership position. I have to think all the time. I have to think of, really, I have to think about the movies I watch, I have to think about What's popping out of my mouth? I have to think about, would this offend somebody? If I walk through a room, I, I try to think about, do I need to greet somebody? I, and I'm not, good, I'm not perfect at it. Sometimes I'm not all that great at it. But truth of the matter is, there are lots of things spinning through my mind. Because, you see, I don't have the option to come in. If, let's just say, for an example, Tracy and I getting a little, you know, scuff up before we get here to church on Sunday. I realize that might be hard to believe that could ever happen. But let's just say there's just this little dust-up that happens. But is it not true? If you can come in after this dust-up, and I've watched it happen. I've watched her husbands and wives come in on Sunday morning, and they'll come in, and you can tell it ain't right. It ain't right in the house. Boy, you can see, you know, one of them sitting here and one of them sitting there. I mean, you just know. You I don't have that option. Really? No, I mean, I mean, we but that's right. You can't stay home from church. I mean, we don't have that option. Why is that? It's because visibility entails responsibility. Responsibility is what you walk in when you have influence. Because I can tell you through the years, even though leaders, even within the life of the church, aren't the pastor per se, I cannot tell you how many conversations with people I have had in my office that have said to me, this person is a leader, and do you know I saw them do fill in the blank? You say, well, they just ought to mind their own business. Well, that may be true. They may be busybodies, and they may need to mind their own business. You may be right. But truth of the matter is, is that your options have diminished see that 's exactly what Paul was saying here. He was saying, "I understand you can eat meat and it doesn't affect you it doesn't it doesn't mess with you. They could have danced around it, sacrificed it, and you could have had a barbecue afterwards and enjoyed it." I realize it doesn't affect you, but do you understand there are people out there that aren't perhaps where you're at and and their consciences are being troubled by that and you just putting that in front of them the way you do is causing them to stumble and he says the precept is you should let it go. You should just let it go in order that you might not sin against the Lord. That's what he's saying. So, So... This is what we need to understand as you move into leadership, and that's why not everybody maybe is cut out to be a leader. I I believe that, that there's a moment that as we mature, we get a hold of these things, but we need to understand that if God's called you to some great thing, if God's called you to some great visible place, the larger your influence, the more circumscribed your life is going to be. Now, I already mentioned not every activity of life can be codified for a leader. It is true that Life is to be enjoyed, and we have certain liberty in Jesus Christ. I mean, I can't live based on everyone else's opinion. I understand that, and you can't either. I, I mean, people, that they're going to have all sorts of different convictions and opinions, and if I lived under everyone's expectation, it would be impossible, and we can't do that. We can't please everybody. But here's our problem. The problem is is not that, that we usually work on that end of the scale. The problem is we don't, we don't have any sense of trying to live up to a standard that God might be talking to us about. Our liberty as Christians, we've already read, you can never be a stumbling block to others. A leader must constantly introspect and evaluate what is before them and how it will affect their influence. In fact, Paul would say here in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says these words. He says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So we can do things in America or in our culture that are legal, but that doesn't mean it's right. Now I'll give you an example. There's really, there's really no verse in the scripture that I can pull out to you that tells me that gambling is, is a sin. Now I know people will say, well, the soldiers gambled for Jesus's robe. Well, that's, that's true. They did. And and it was certainly a disrespectful thing to do as the Lord was being crucified there. But nowhere does God say thou shalt not gamble. Nowhere does it say that that you know thou shalt not buy a lottery ticket. It doesn't say that in here. It does say that an eye that hastens to wealth can be an evil thing. And and I think I could make a a, a legitimate precept here on gambling is not a good thing. We know that people get addicted to it. We know that people lose their life savings. We, I've met people that have absolutely you know decimated their life because they couldn't get a hold of the gambling thing. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that you can't do it. But here's the key. The key is, is that beneficial? Is it helpful? I, I mean, I know what people sometimes say. They'll say, well, I, you know, if, if the Lord let me win the lottery, I tithe on it. Well, and I'd redeem it probably. But at this point, I haven't been able to get past the Holy Ghost to go buy the lottery ticket. Because the Spirit of God said, no, not for you, not for you. I'll give you another one that's my my personal hobby horse, and, and we'll touch on this on occasion through all of this. And I know in Consecrate class, we talk about the Nazarite vow, and so we'll get to that one as well, but that's on down the road. But I understand that, that on the basis of the scripture, I can't teach to you uh, absolute teetotalism when it comes to the drinking of alcohol. Now I understand. I understand with general membership. I understand probably within the life of this congregation. Now, I, I, see, I have a I have a deep conviction on this point because I deal with so many people that have been destroyed by that devilish thing. See, now when you see that destruction after a while, you say to yourself, Why do you even want that to be a part of your life? So, so you understand. I have a deep conviction in that area. But I understand that that yes, I know Jesus turned water into wine. You're right, he did. He sure enough did. And they said it was good stuff. It was the best stuff. That's what the Bible says. I I get it. I know that Paul said to Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. That was for medicinal purposes. There's a lot of stomach issues in America. Because these are the verses they will use in order to justify what at times I think God's trying to talk to us about. Now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you real quick that the alcohol content of these drinks in biblical times was like about 13 to 1 of what it is today in other words in fact in these days you would literally have to drink and purge Drink and purge drink and purge in order for you to get a buzz off this stuff So that's what they were doing when he says don't get drunk with wine, which is dissipation That's exactly what they'd had to do They'd have to drink and purge drink and purge because fact of the matter is the alcohol content If you just had two or three cups or whatever they called it in those days of of what they called wine I don't know that you could get all that buzz off it at all because it just didn't have the fermenting value of what we have today. Now, you go get your Bartles and James, or you go get your Chardonnay, or you go sit down. I'll guarantee you, it's not what Jesus turned the water into. Now, you need to understand that as you're tipping and thinking you're okay. Now, again, this is a deep conviction of mine because I see people destroyed by it. But think about this. I mean, and I know that I know pastors out there. They're They're social drinkers. I understand that. They're out there. And the reason they have so many people go to their churches is because their people don't feel convicted about it because they know their pastor is one. Not me. I mean, could you imagine? I just imagine you just go into Applebee's and have dinner. I know you've heard this story before, and there you see me bellied up to the bar there. And you go, oh, Pastor. See, you're here at the bar. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was a tough day of ministry today. I figured just a tall one here before I go. Just a little chaser in it, you know. And I mean, you know, hey. I can handle it. I can handle it. How many of you know how many people would stumble over that? I I mean, uncounted numbers would stumble over that. And and here it is for me. For me is, my beer isn't worth keeping somebody out of the kingdom. Now, again, you can't codify everything, and you have to leave a lot of things to people's personal conviction. I will tell you this, because if you link up with me in ministry, that will become your personal conviction. Really, it, it will. It becomes your personal conviction. You say, well, I don't know. I don't think it's my personal conviction. Then you probably aren't called to leadership here. I, I want you to worship here. I, I want you to love God here, and, and you can join with us in a lot of wonderful ways. But I'm not linking up with somebody that, that another person can walk into my office and say, did you know so-and-so who's a leader? I saw them. I saw them. They were teaching the other day, and I saw them down at, at the quick shop, and they were buying four cases. I'm not def- I'm not going to defend that anymore. I've had that happen to me, but I'm not defending it anymore. And I've had people come and go from leadership because this was one of the convictions that they didn't want to adhere to, and God bless you. I'm I'm I love you. God loves you. I I don't do I think taking a beer is going to send you to hell? No. But I but I, I but I think it diminishes your influence. And I'll just tell you this, it diminishes your influence with me. Because you know what? I think it's making a lot of people stumble. Amen. And see, that isn't even the beer talk yet. See, we haven't even got to the beer talk yet. What do I look for in a leader? What does God want in a leader? Let me go through this. Here are the five C's of leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, and, and in Titus chapter 1 as well, we find... Uh, there, uh, Paul beginning to enumerate the things that uh, he looks for in leadership. Now he uses obviously terminology like uh, elders and deacons, and and these things are so. Um, I, I just want to because sometimes we get hung up because of our traditions and the churches we grew up in and what that meant there and how. You just let's just start with a blank slate and let's just call it leader. All right, what what are we what are we looking for in a leader? And 1 Timothy chapter 3 and some others are great places. And I just use the five C's. Number one is character. Character. And he goes through here, 1 Timothy 3. He talks about being the husband of one wife. uh, And I believe that has to deal with uh, monogamy and polygamy. I don't believe divorce is the unpardonable sin. Um, uh, You know, I, I think it has to be dealt with and healed and understood. But at this point, it's, you know, you're in a monogamous, married, covenantal relationship. Temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable, apt to teach. Well, there you have it. Not given to wine, not violent. You never want your leaders violent. I mean, that's just not greedy for money, gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. So he's beginning to give some of the character qualities. And your leadership is only as good as your character. Again, you can have title and position, but your influence is only as strong as your character. And many people in leadership positions, both in the world as well as in church, have lost their capacity to influence because of a character defect. How many you know, and I'm not beating up on him, but our governor lost all his influence. Now, now you can like Mark Sanford, and, and, and I can like him, like him, but he's lost his influence with me and most of this state. He was one of the people that people were talking about running for president. That's out the window now. It just isn't going to happen. Why is that? It's because character, his character could not sustain him. Now, again, I'm not beating up on the man. I believe that, that it that if he repented, and I believe he has, and 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 you know, he can be restored rightly before God as a believer. Now he's gonna to have to work for a good while to restore trust with regards to his character. The easiest life to live is the one that is the same life privately as it is publicly. That's the easiest life to live. Don't be something different in private than you are in public see the reason life for me is pretty easy is because i not only not drink here i don't drink at home you know what i watch on tv is 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 acceptable and within the boundaries of what really a mature christian should be watching i don't have to worry about when i come out of movie theaters and wondering if someone saw me come out of that despicable show because we don't go to despicable shows in fact we've gotten up out of a few that snagged us and uh you know what? That's good. I think every now and then, if we get snagged, it's good just to challenge our character at that point and find out what we're made of. And if you had to get up and leave it, hey, if you've got to stay there, if your character's worth that eight bucks, something's wrong. Just get up. Get up. In fact, go ask for your eight bucks back. I mean, if they won't give it to you, then they didn't give it to you, but you retained your character. It was worth it. Secondly, what do I look for in a leader is Competency. Obviously, a leader has a righteous heart, but there needs to be competency in the area of leadership. A leader needs to know what they're doing, where they're going, how they're going to get there. Um, In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, uh, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so there's an ability to be able to understand what God says, to implement it in your life, to be competent in what it is that you're giving oversight or leadership to, Um, you know, I I think it's a good thing if, uh, for instance, we're sick and we have to go to the hospital and we're seeing a doctor, a surgeon, and I I think it's a wonderful thing and it may be something you even need to track down. I'd want, I would want a Christian doctor to do an operation on me and that would be important, but at the same time, uh, just because he's a Christian doesn't mean I'm going to let him cut on me. I want him to be a competent Christian doctor. Are you following me? I mean, I don't want a doctor coming in saying we're going to cut you open and then get led of the Lord. Well, now you're saying, well, are you being flippant? No, I'm just saying, how would you feel? You're just saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to be led of the Lord. Well, where are you going to cut? I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost to figure it out. You being flippant, Pastor? No, I'm not being flippant. I'm just saying competency has its place, right? Competency has its place. I understand. We get in our circles and we think if you roll your eyes back and you shake and you, and, and 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 you and you sound spiritual and, and and somehow you're competent. That doesn't mean anything anymore. I I I used to say I don't care how long you lay on the floor under the power of God. I want to see how well it works when you get up and start walking it out. Competency. That's important. That's the plugging in a precept. The third thing you look for is calling. I I, I I know we used to teach this, and I repent from that, and I was mistaken, and, and I want to say this carefully and lovingly. We used to say everybody could be a leader, and I'm not sure everybody's called to be a leader. I, I think you're called to the ministry. I think everybody's called to the ministry. I think everybody's called to put their hand to something, to help, to assist, to do acts of service, to to do all kinds of I think everybody's called to the ministry in that regard but 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 I do believe that there is a unique calling to leadership and 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 I think that makes sense because if everybody was a leader then there could be no follower and and so I think God probably taps uh, statistically a fewer number of people with regards to leadership so so not everyone may be called to be leader in the positional sense um, but but you need to know that God's called you to it because I'm telling you, the first time, and you could ask the Connect uh, group leaders, you can ask some of the guys uh, that have worked with me. I mean, the first time you find out what getting your hands in the midst of, of people's lives and ministry, and you find out it ain't always as fun as you thought it was going to be. I, I mean, there are days, I'm going to be honest with you, the only thing that keeps me going forward is the fact that there was a time way back when, when God called me, it was it was undeniable. It was forever etched in my mind. And I would have walked away from this numerous times had it not been from the fact that I knew I would be sinning against God because he called me. I mean, I knew God called me to this. And, and you know, that's what happens when the heat gets turned on as you find out if you're really called to do it. Now, again, a calling does not necessarily grant instant access to leadership because we've talked about some of these other things already about knitting and and, and and being under authority, but calling is an important feature of being a leader. And then I put the word charisma down. Charisma is the Greek word for gift or for grace. Charisma. Uh, a leader has certain, I believe, supernatural abilities or anointing to do the work of the ministry. I mean, there has to be a touch of God on people's lives to be leaders in the church. I mean, you can be you can be good people, righteous people, but, but there needs to be a touch of God on your life as well. And not every leader has the same gift, but there's an aspect of divine empowerment for leadership. It doesn't mean everybody has to be me or has to be Trace. We're not talking about that. But, but there's, just, there's just some divine evidence that God's at work there. And, and, and that's an important part as well. And then lastly, I put down here Chemistry. Chemistry. What does chemistry mean? Well, to be a leader means that there has to be a chemistry. There must be an ability to get along with the senior pastor. uh, Obviously, my wife oversees the woman's arm of uh, the ministry, and there has to be this chemistry there uh, because we're going to be working together in the ministry. If an individual is contentious or irritating then what happens is that saps energy from those who are trying to work in harmony together. So leadership is about finding that, that chemistry. You should like who you do ministry with. Isn't that true? There's nothing worse than having people around you you don't like. Can you imagine? Why? Why? I mean, now, I, everybody's growing, maturing. You know, there can be personality things on occasion, but generally there needs to be a certain chemistry that can begin to find a knitting and a linking that happens together. Now, I want to go down through these questions because I thought the best way to begin to communicate some of these things was to just put out questions. And, and I've called this on occasion getting a peek into my mind, which can be a scary thing. Getting a peek into pastor's mind can be, oh, my Lord. <clears throat> but But these are the things, if on no other occasion... I articulate it, I I can hear, and let you go through just some of my thought processes about what you look for when you're looking for those you'll link up with and finding people who could potentially be leaders and who you can entrust things to and who could raise up a ministry and and, and who could be an extension of what's going on. And and these are the things that begin to twirl in my mind. And so I I just thought I'd put them in question form and just put them out there to you uh, and maybe make a few comments as we go down the page here. The first one... And again, there may be more. This is not perhaps exhaustive, but it is at least getting there. Are they teachable? Are they teachable? In other words, are you willing Are you willing to be taught how to function, not just in the ministry and not just as unto the Lord, but are you willing to be taught as to how ministry flows in this house? Are you teachable? Or are they wise in their own eyes? That's actually a biblical word. I think the first time we ever heard wise in their own eyes was when we took raising kids God's way, growing kids God's way. Because there are children as they get older, and uh, I know it couldn't be any of you, though, over here. I understand this is not, this is, you are the exceptions to this rule. But oftentimes when kids reach their teenage years, they get wise in their own eyes. What does that mean? It means they know more than anyone else. Right, right. In their 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years of existence, they have accrued more wisdom and knowledge and understanding and insight and discernment than you who may be 50 years old. They know more. Now, I, you hear the chuckles. Now, and it, and it is funny, and it all happens, and, and I'm, I'm, you know we love you, and, and it's just the nature of growing up. Is, is to be wise in your own eyes. But but here, here's, the, here's the part that we need to chuckle with too, and that is I've been preaching the gospel since I was 18 years old. I was a pastor at 24. I've been married to Trace for coming on 29 years. We're now on the 29th year coming around the lap. Been on staff at super large churches, pastored rural churches, been here, been there. I, I, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I really know what I'm doing. I know that may surprise you, but but would you be amazed at how many people don't think the pastor knows what he's doing? He did not know what he's doing. I could do that. Well, I'll, I'd be happy to throw you the keys. Take it for a spin for a week. I know everybody, I, we 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 had people through the years. I had people. I mean, I, there's I, I can't use I won't use any names. Had a had a person uh, say to Trace, oh, if you would only do A B C and D, if you would do A B C and D, you, you would be you, you'd be a better pastor's wife, or you'd be this, or you'd be that. And you know what? They got to go be a pastor's wife. And you know what? They're doing A B C and D, and they found out that you don't do A B C and D, because you see, it doesn't look the same in the captain's chair as it does out there. How many of you know it looks different from the third base coach's box on the baseball field than it does in the nosebleed section? Are you following me? See, so you got to be teachable. Now, teachability means humility. Because there's going to be error along the way and it has to be corrected. There has to be mistakes along the way and it has to be corrected. But if you're teachable, I I can work with teachable. Can I just say this? If you would just learn, I'm sorry, I could work with that. Okay, we can work with that. We we can recover, and we can work with that. But that's about leadership, because you know what? If you know everything coming in, then you probably need to be starting your own work somewhere. All right? Number two, are you correctable? Kind of fits into that one. Are you correctable? Or do you pout? You know what's worse than a teenager pouting? It's someone that's about 40. I mean, really? I mean, are, are are you easily offended? I know, I know the ladies have gone through all the offense, or a lot of the ladies have gone through all the offense class, and 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 you you can't you can't be in leadership and be if if you wear your feelings on your shirt sleeve. My God, run from leadership, because you see, you know who people shoot at? He who's on most visible, who's ever most visible gets shot at, and you're going to take some shots. All right, and and and. You know, and not only from the folk, but you could take a few shots probably from me, too. And I get a few shots as well from those above and below. Number three, are you flexible? Blessed are the flexible, for they will not break. Can you change and adapt easily? Because things change. God moves. You say, well, God never changes. Well, I know he never changes, but we're not God, so we're always changing. Okay. Number four: Are you willing to admit failure? Will you apologize, or do you blame shift? That's a part of leadership. Is is because that's a pride issue. That's what I'm saying. Learn. I'm sorry. I'm sorry is an okay word. I'm sorry doesn't mean that that you're you're evil. It just means all right. I, I made a mistake. I really I'm sorry. And uh, boy, it took me a lot of years to get this one in because I'm just you know i'm choleric i'm i'm kind of a type personality i just you know i hate to admit i'm wrong i mean i but truth is i'm wrong got to say i'm wrong so do you apologize are they disciplined this is important too these are the things i ask myself are they disciplined do they have good life habits and skills now as i go through this list I, you know we're not looking for perfection can you say that we're not looking for perfection we're looking at people though who are pursuing Okay. So are you disciplined? Because if you've got to be at events on time, yeah. see, and you're not here on time ever, then it's really hard to consider that leadership material. I mean, I, I'm telling you that I'm, you say, I don't Why do you make a big deal about it? Because it's a big deal to me. We start on time. How many of you know, 10 o'clock Sunday morning, this thing gets cranked up. We have the countdown clock. It's on the hour. Set your watches. It's going to happen. All right, 629, we're starting on Wednesday night. Now, I may go a little long, but it's because the Lord has so much he wants to communicate to you. All right, but discipline, again, you don't have to do it like I do it, but if you're disheveled and disorganized, I mean, life habits and skills. I mean, are you disciplined? Can, do, you, do you have a mouth that can be restrained? I mean, all these areas. Are you positive? Number six, I gotta hurry. Are you a positive person? Do, or do you tend to be needy? And whine or complain. I I, Through the years, and it's been my mistake too, people want to be in leadership because they think if they're closer to me, they get more of their needs met. Yeah, I know, Beverly. I believe it. I, I laugh too. No, that's really not true. Because my expectation is you don't need me as much. Because you're a leader. All right? So are you positive? That's important, that disposition. Are you willing to suffer? To sacrifice. That's what leadership is about, suffering and sacrifice. You say, really? Yeah, just look at Jesus. I, I, I mean, that's a part of what it means to be leadership, to face hardships initiated by the gospel. I mean, these things are important. When when building funds come along, I mean leadership gets in the hunt. I, I mean, they're up to bat. And and they're, they're sacrificing, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing They're giving up their schedules They have parties and things they can go to And pastor schedules a meeting oh, I'm at the meeting Alright, that's a part of leadership Are they servants? Are they promotion hungry? Or are they political in nature? This is a good one Can they deflect personal praise and not be defiled by people's affirmation? Um you know a lot of times you know as a leader and 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 you'll you'll teach people and you'll pray for people and you'll be involved in people's lives and people people will really really appreciate that and that's good we all need affirmation and appreciation and there's nothing wrong with these sorts of things but after a while if 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 you get that without understanding how to appropriately deflect that to the Lord and at times deflect it even off to the opportunity that you've been given Um, what happens is it begins to defile you because you begin to think, I must be all that. If they love me like that, they must be, uh, I must be all of that. So deflecting personal praise. Number 10, can they walk by faith? Are they willing to to walk by faith? Because this is a faith walk. Are they able to live beyond the end of a pencil and trust God? These are important questions for leaders because leaders are out front. Number 11, will they represent the pastor or just themselves? Can they follow through on his request in a positive and timely manner? This is, this is about leadership. Number 12, are they early for services and other events? Do they demonstrate a heart for the ministry? I've had people in, in leadership that didn't even act like they wanted to be here. <laughs> you say, well, why'd you put them in leadership? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I probably needed to read my own list again. Number 13, do they tithe and demonstrate financially where their heart is? You know, we've been teaching on that, and we're not going to be talking about that anymore on Sunday, at least for a while. But, you know, tithing is is an important demonstration of God's firstness in our life. And uh, a part of it, a part of the uh, disobedience to it, is that it's linked to a curse. And I just don't want to link up with other people that are functioning under a closed heaven. So tithing is an important aspect of leadership. Are they baptized with the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's an important part. We are a full gospel. We use the term Pentecostal church. And so I want to know that they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do they want to pray? How many of you know if leaders don't want to pray, we got a problem. So they need to want to pray and be a part of all of these things. And then number 15, are they a blessing to be around with or is there a weariness when they're around? I had a message years ago that I, that I called, are you a sapper or a zapper? You know some people you're around they just zap you. You're full of energy, you're encouraged, you know, you're you're just lifted up and then there are others that you're around and they just sap you dry. They just drain you. Oh jeez, I'm being drained again. Well, well leaders leaders have to understand that that they're going to have to get their 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 input at times and again I have a responsibility obviously to input and do things but but as a leader you've got to you've got to find ways to get your input. I've got to reach out and find ways to get my input. I gotta find ways to keep myself filled up. I gotta find ways to keep my eyes uh, under the hills from what's come with my help. And and these these things are important in leaders' lives. You can't you can't be the one that we're carrying. Leaders are the ones that are carrying things. So Very, very important things that just kind of spin around in my mind. So there are all sorts of concepts in this lesson that we're going to come to again. And uh, I'm just sharing them. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will begin to soften your heart and open your eyes uh, to the high call of God when it comes to...